you, in most of these things, you, you, you'll probably fail. <laughs> at <laughs> right. some level, you will fail at right. some level. Like if you are that driven, I mean, I've failed at everything I've tried to do at some level, you know what I mean? It just, it happens. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's for everybody. That's for the greatest champions of all time in sports and, you know, the greatest leaders in the world and all that. Like they always talk about that. It's very true, but you have to be willing to lose. In honor of Veterans Day, Kyle and myself sit down with former Green Beret, Texas Longhorn, and Seattle Seahawk, Nate Boyer. Nate also talks about his conversation he had with Colin Kaepernick during his protest. And Nate doesn't take my relationship advice. <laughs> Without further ado, it's our guy, Nate Boyer. It's good to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, with this being the underdog, we just kind of talked about it a little bit before pre-recording. Um, and, you know, let's you have quite the underdog story with, you know, a lot of events and different moments in, in your in your life and in your career. Um, but let's go back. You know, you've done multiple tours in Afghanistan um, and overseas and, you know, we're part of the uh, the Green Beret. Uh, but your path to get there was a little unorthodox. I know your mom was quoted as saying you wanted to, you know, write your own pathway. Um, and she, I think she sounds like she kind of knew that from the beginning. And so back in, you know, when you were, you know, early twenties, um, you decided to, to leave the country. But I think before you left, you know, you found yourself at a, at a low where you found yourself, you know, crying. And I think really hitting that point of what's next, there's gotta be more here. Can you take us back to kind of that time in your life just before you uh, you decided to leave the country and, and uh, walk us through kind of the events that led up to ultimately, you know, um, your departure? Yeah, you know, I mean, this was, oh, about 16 years ago now, a little more than that, 16 and a half years ago. Um, and yeah, I was uh, I was in my early 20s, I think I was 23. And, uh, you know, I, I, I graduated high school, you know, went down to San Diego, worked on a fishing boat for a little while, um, moved up to Los Angeles, interested in working in film and TV, which I'm pursuing now. And, um, but I just didn't believe in myself, you know, I didn't have, uh, didn't have a lot of drive. Um, well, that's not true. I had a lot of drive. I just didn't apply. I didn't have a lot of application. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I was always a dreamer, but I, but I didn't uh, put the work, put in the work necessary to make something happen. And I felt like I was meant for something more in this. You know, I felt this sense of purpose um, that I, well, I felt like I, I, I didn't have this sense of purpose that I knew I was supposed to. And uh, I started traveling um, first, just kind of backpacking around, you know, places like Europe and, and Mexico, Central America, um, just sleeping in a hammock or in a hostel and, or on a train and just trying to figure things out and, and explore the world a little bit. And then, uh, um, after that, I, uh, I came back to the States and I was like, all right, that was all great, but there was no like, real purpose behind that trip. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make the world any better by just went and experienced it and, and that's fine, but it, it wasn't. I really wanted to be. And, and, uh, I came across this time magazine article about the tragedy in Sudan, the uh, genocide in the Darfur region. 
Uh, and I was like compelled to go um, and help. And so I went to the AAA and I bought a plane ticket and flew myself over there and uh, just figured it out when I got on the ground and talked my way onto a UN flight um, and ended up out at the refugee camps, even though I wasn't supposed to be in the country, <laughs> um, volunteering, you know, and uh, it completely changed uh, my life and, and perception in the sense of, I, you know, I wanted to live this purpose-filled life. And it was like, um, it was, it was, it was one of the saddest things in the world. I mean, 300,000 people been murdered and, um, you know, just horrible stuff to women and children that, you know, you don't even want to think about, but that was what, that's what was going on. And, uh, and, and still going on in much of the world. And, uh, and I came back to the state. It sort of gained my patriotism over there too, because these, uh, these people were just so generous and, and, and nice to me and wanted me to stay with them. And, you know, um, we're so enamored by the fact that an American would leave this place and go over there, you know, just to, to, to find himself, I guess, yeah. <laughs> or to try to. And so I, uh, um, I, I, I knew I was going to join the military when I was over there. I got malaria my last week there and I was listening to the BBC radio and they had the first battle of Fallujah was going on and these Marines, these brave Marines that were going, uh, you know, going overseas and, and fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I came back, I didn't join the Marine Corps. I ended up joining the army uh, because of the special forces. Uh, I wanted to be a Green Beret and, and there was a contra uh, contract available. You could come in off the street um, and uh, go straight to selection after airborne school and uh, uh, basic training. And then you go, uh, go through selection. If you make, if you get selected then you start that year and a half long uh, training to become a Green Beret. And so I did that and, you know, stuck to it, gave it everything I had and was able to, to make it. And, uh, and that's what brought me into the military. So before you joined the military, because that's a mindset, you know, not everyone wants to do something like that. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, when you went overseas to defer, it's kind of when your mindset it sounds like changed, but when you joined the military, you were quoted as saying you couldn't even do 30 pushups and, and run a mile. It took you 15 minutes to run two miles. And I know it would take my partner here probably 20 Whoa, minutes hey, to run hey, two hey, miles. Hey, 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 now. Uh, but, you know, you were able to overcome that. Can you talk about a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about that mindset of being able to make that happen? Yeah. I mean, when I commit to something and go after it, that's something uh, that I've discovered, you know, in, in my, uh, in my journey. Um, and a lot of people say this, but you know, it's true of a lot of people, but, but no one will outwork me. <laughs> I will outwork everybody and I will do it better than anybody else and, and, and go harder than anybody else. Maybe not do it better, but do it different. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just don't know how to quit, you know, sure. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Um, but, uh, when I got to basic training and I, and at that time in my life, I didn't have the same mindset yet. I think I was just starting to open up to that. I was definitely afraid of not making it, you know, and, uh, it, over those 14 weeks of, uh, between basic training and infantry school, um, 
yeah, that first PT test, I did, I could only do 29 pushups in two minutes. And then we ran the two miles. I was like 15 minutes. And then I think I did 53 sit-ups or something like that in two minutes, which I mean, doesn't sound bad, but it's not my army standards. It's not good. So, um, over that time, any free moment I had, I was training, you know, and there's not a ton of free moments in basic training, as you can imagine, but anytime I had, I was training, I was doing extra, I was doing extra pull-ups and push-ups before and after every time I ate, uh, um, you know, I would stop and make myself do 50 push-ups as long as it took. Um, then, you know, a week later I'm doing 60 push-ups and then 75 push-ups or whatever. And, uh, um, just, continually to push myself when, when we were running in the, with the groups, you know, I just would push myself to the front of the pack and make myself run with the people that were faster than me. So by the end of tra basic training, just in those 14 weeks, Oh, there's the other thing I did was I started to try to do things I didn't think I could do. Like I did a mile of lunges around the track, uh, for instance, with like body armor on and maybe a rucksack or something. Um, when I say I did a mile of lunges around the track, like I didn't take a false step. Like I, every single step was, was a lunge. lunge. Wow. My ham I wouldn't be able to get wow. up the next day after 10. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> it took, you know, I don't even know how long it took, but it took at least an hour. I mean, it took forever. Um, but I did it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just starting to like build those, those, those new muscles and harden yourself. So by the end of AC training, I did, uh, 145 push-ups in two minutes. I did 103 sit-ups in two minutes, and then I ran uh, two miles in 11 and 11 minutes flat. So just completely transformed myself, and uh, you know, in physical form, I guess, but also the mental because of how hard I worked. And then it was just—I'm not gonna say it was easy after that, but it definitely gave me that confidence um, to be able to uh, attack something like that. You know. And just real quick, just to, I, I love the source. Was this learned or this was kind of an innate ability? Because I kind of find throughout the underdog journeys and the people we've talked to, you know, you're talking about just you going to Sudan, like, and just driven, like that was your end vision. You were driven to that. And then you were driven to be a Green Beret. Then you were driven to be, you know, a starting long snapper at UT and then on to, you know, obviously the Seahawks. But how, what is that more? You know, and I didn't in the, in the research I did. I didn't necessarily hear that or read that. What is the source? Do you think that was something that was developed through your childhood, or is that more of you know something you learned along the way of that drive? I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer. I honestly don't know. It's probably a mix of all those things. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of it. Some people are just just have it maybe a little bit. Um, I think parenting you know, the way you're raised or it doesn't have to be parents even, but you know, some kind of a mentor or, or a leader in your life. I think that has a huge effect, you know, and who we end up looking, who we look up to when we're younger, who we follow. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what the switch is, you know what I mean? That, mm -hmm. that makes somebody willing to finally go for something, you know, and, uh, and, take that leap um, and just get after it because it doesn't always, I think it's, it's, there's also a major, there has to be a major acceptance of the fact that you in most of these things, you, you'll, you'll probably fail <laughs> at <laughs> right. some level. You will fail at right. some level. Like if you are that driven, I mean, I've failed at everything I've tried to do 
at some level. You know what I mean? It just, it happens. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's for everybody. That's for the greatest champions of all time in sports and, you know, the greatest leaders in the world and all that. Like they always talk about that. It's very true, but you have to be willing to lose. <laughs> sure. Sure. And I, I, um, I was a uh, walk on, uh, with you. So I guess I, I'm, I'm obviously not military, but I think the walk, I call it the walk on mentality. I think it's a little bit of the underdogs. So I was walking on it. Definitely not UT. We played for Texas, but uh, Miami of Ohio. We love love and honor to our guys here uh, in the MAC, and um, in, and I think that mindset. We've had a lot of different walk ons, like Gary Brackett, who went on to win a Super Bowl, and some of the other guys. Um, Urban Meyer talked about the the the, the heart of walk ons, just that mentality of yeah. going and seeing and getting something. And I guess where I'm going with that is, and I tried to learn that, like what what makes that? You know, is it just because hey, you haven't you know, someone says you can't do it. So you go do it. And, and I think that's just something we're always trying to chase. And obviously you've been super, super successful. And then kind of translating that to Texas, by the way, for the brand, I was a holder. So I always appreciated a good long snapper. So God bless your soul <laughs> for many different reasons. First of all, thank you for your service. Second of all, thank you for being a great long snapper. Cause as a holder, it's, it's not easy, man. When you're getting, you know, a ball on your back shoulder or a down where you're pinning it on the ground and you got to get the laces out. I mean, there's only 1.2 seconds till you got to get that puppy down and out. So, um, you know, talk a little bit about, and I know we might jump around a little bit back to the military aspect, but talk about, you know, I know Mac Brown, that experience going there, you were like fourth or fifth on the depth chart to start for long snapping. Then you didn't start the season, you're second, and then you came in. Talk a little bit about your journey of walking on to Texas and then playing there. But but hold on. You're missing the biggest key of that. After the military. He's not 18, 19, 20, 21, oh, yeah. 22 years old. I mean, you're what, 29 years old and you're like, I just got done with the military. What's next? So like, you're not a young spring chicken when you decide to make this decision, which just adds more credibility to what you've been able to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was yeah, 29 was a crazy that was a crazy year, crazy time. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it was like, I don't know, maybe that 30 year milestone was staring at me. And I was like, if I don't go after this, I'm never going to do it. And I was finally ready to go to college. And, uh, yeah, I just, I'd never played football before either. That's the other big one. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up, I played every other sport pretty much except football. And I always regretted it. And so I, uh, you know, I, I started training when I was in Iraq and I came back over and, and, you know, when I got into Texas, I just tried out, walked on and, you know, I, I was a safety. I was a, not one that was ever going to play, but, uh, I was, a uh, you know, on the scout team and I got to dress for the home games and lead the team out of the tunnel for the American flag my first year and, uh, first year and a half really. And then. I'm in my sophomore season and I'm like, or my, I guess my redshirt freshman season. And I'm noticing that I recognize that the starting long snapper um, is a senior and the backup is a senior. And at this point, like that redshirt freshman season, I got to play in one game uh, on veterans day. We were playing uh, uh, Texas tech and we were blowing them out and it was at home. And um, so they put me, I, I got, got to get it, go in on a uh, kickoff coverage and, you know, I, uh, did you blow anybody I, up? No. Well, <laughs> I did throw a guy down okay. that like, came to get me like, like, so 
ran off the line. I get destroyed immediately. You know, um, I got like double teamed. I'm like, why are you double teaming me? Like, I'm not going to be the playmaker here, <laughs> but they were doing their job. And, uh, uh, so basically I'm trying to try to bust that wedge and it didn't, nothing happened. Uh, good. But one of the guys stayed on, like engaged with me. And I, I actually like threw him down probably 30 yards from the tackle kind of threw him down. And I think I just got caught him off balance a little bit, but the whole sideline, our sideline, like freaked out because they were all watching me. They weren't watching the play. You know, the game was over. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I just caught the bug right there. I was like, man, I got to find a way on the field. Like I have to find a way on the field. And so I started long snapping. I started messing with it, teaching myself on YouTube videos. I went back overseas that summer and and uh, just snapped 100 balls a day because I, I stayed in the, the Texas National Guard when I was in the military or sorry, when I was in college. So I actually went back overseas uh, every summer uh, between football and school and everything for about three, three months or so. I found that amazing because when I was reading that, I was like, so be, having been a former college football player, I stayed there because it's recommended every summer to stay there by the coaches and work out with your teammates in June and July. And while we were doing that, you know, you're going overseas and still serving our country and, and, and finding a way to come back. And there was a story where I guess you were in a firefight and you're like and a bullet went right by your head and you said something along the lines of I got to survive because I got to get back to practice next week because it was like late July. And I was just like, I'm at the pool drinking beer. This is why I wasn't playing. And my man is over here, you know, putting everything on the line, you know, on the on, uh, on the line for us. So I just thought that was tremendous, man. And something you just never hear. <laughs> right. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> that was crazy. But it was it was cool. It was very cool. It was, uh, I loved it. You know, I love that op tempo. I love that opportunity to go do that. And, you know, meant a lot to me. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I can't, yeah. So I came, so I, when I came back after the summer, coach let me, uh, Mac let me try out for the position. And yeah, there was like, there's at least a half dozen of us doing it. And they recruited, you know, this kid to, to come in and do it as a freshman. And, um, and so by the end of training camp, I was number two on the depth chart. The other guys had kind of, uh, ruled themselves out because they, um, just kept messing up, <laughs> you know, or I can win over the holder's head or uh, whatever it was. And, uh, I just hung in there. And so, um, after the first game we had, uh, yeah, the home game, home game against, uh, New Mexico, uh, no, that's the first one I played. In. I think we were playing Wyoming. I can't remember. Anyway, I didn't play that game. I was the backup, but the guy that was starting just had a couple of bad snaps. And so the next week at practice, we had like a snap off on Wednesday. And Mac just said, whoever is more accurate in these 10 snaps is starting on Saturday. And it was me. And uh, I started for 38 straight games after that. So. <laughs> That's, I love it. it. Earned it. I love, I love it, it, man. I love it. Yeah, I, I held for 51 games. <laughs> I was a four-year little winner <laughs> at Miami. I was like a four-string quarterback, and uh, I had 51 under the belt. I always give my, you know, a couple of my guys we played with were in the NFL, and they had, you know, I don't know, 32 starts. I said, wait, how many starts technically? Because <laughs> even a holder gets a, a, a technical start Yeah, in, uh, in a letter because we get on the field a certain amount. So, yeah, man, for the brand, like I said, love it. And then the walk-on mentality. 
love it. Obviously your service, you know, and, and things you did for our country. And then talk a little bit about before we obviously go to, you know, the platform that was created and in, in, in your experience with Colin Kaepernick, the, uh, the opportunity to go and, and, and play an NFL game while as preseason, you know, what Pete Carroll and the Seahawks and, and that experience. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, uh, just to get a shot, go up to Seattle and, um, you know, go through training camp and, um, and then, you know, get out on the field and play in one preseason game against the, it was against the Broncos. And it was, it was Peyton Manning's last year when they went, went on to win the Super Bowl that year. And, you know, the Seahawks had been to back-to-back Super Bowls and that, that place was, um, you know, the fan base is amazing up there. And so, yeah, just going out on that field, um, before the game and uh warming up i was super nervous and like peyton's standing right next to me like throwing passes it was just like the most surreal thing ever <laughs> and uh and and the funny part is is like i i'm he's maybe the only person on the field older than me and i'm a rookie i was, 30, <laughs> I was 34 years old um i was the oldest guy on the seahawks for sure I think the, I think John Ryan was 33 and he was the punter. He was next. It was a very young team at the time. Um, and yeah. And then we come back out before the game and the equipment manager asked me to lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag. Like I did in college, which was really cool. Like players don't do that usually. So I did that. And then, uh, uh, right before the game started, um, you know, they play the national anthem and, uh, it was crazy because in college, we're always in the locker room when they play the anthem. You're, you're not on the field. Um, and so I didn't even really think about it until I'm like standing out there and then realize, you know, the guys, the, the announcer makes the announcement that would everybody please ride for the anthem. And so I like found the, the highest flag in the building and, uh, you know, put my hand on my heart and song starts playing. And like within a few seconds, I just started bawling. It was like, thinking about my journey, I guess, and, you know, my life and, and getting to this point, getting that opportunity, um, you know, thinking of this, this insecure, scared kid that, um, didn't believe in himself and, you know, um, and, and knowing that a lot of people feel that way, mm-hmm. you know, and then thinking of my brothers and sisters overseas still fighting and those that didn't make it back. And, um, the people that, that are, that did make it back that are struggling back at home all that stuff, you know? And, and so it was like, yeah, it was a, it was a symbol of hope, I think for people and for myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really special. It was really special. Yeah. I'll never forget that. And there's someone um, I put you up with Nate is, is obviously Pat Tillman, uh, who made the ultimate sacrifice sacrifice for us, but the that's another level. Yeah, I know Pat's another level. Um, but I have a picture of him in my, my house. Actually, I just, you know, incredible man. And, and I wish I could have you know, had the opportunity to speak with him like we're speaking to you now, but you know, he, he made the ultimate sacrifice, but I guess the whole point was, is, you know, you guys were able to, you know, provide hope, right. And you are providing hope through, you know, overcoming that adversity and then obviously keep going. You know, you parlayed that never played football. That's incredible. If you think about that oh, yeah. and then you're, and then you're snapping in uh, Seattle stadium, you know, whether it's preseason game, regular season, just the fact, the odds of you able to do that uh, is just, you know, you know, incredible. So I do, I do have a question and it may be a dumb question, but you mentioned it. 
you said you found the highest flag, you know, in the building. Is that something that is military based or just is, what's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're supposed to, if there's multiple flags in a, at a venue, you're supposed to face the tallest one when you're, uh, or the highest one when, when the anthem's playing. Oh, never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Awesome. I wouldn't have known without the military. You know, I probably did it wrong sometimes. Somebody yelled at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. so, so speaking of the flag, I think obviously then that parlays to, you know, Colin Kaepernick reaches out, asked to speak with you, right? So you drive, I think, or got down to Uber. San Diego. Yeah. No. Uber. Yeah. yeah. Uber. Yeah. Um, Three hour yeah. Uber. Like, yeah. It was a long Uber. Um, but then you go to San Diego. And I think for me, it's, you know, I'm, I wasn't, you know, I'm not military. And I'm not necessarily maybe a minority. So understanding, I guess for me, this is an informational piece for me to understand, um, you know, which I think is great about our platform is to ask open-ended questions of, you know, what, what is, I guess, then, you know, what happened then? And, and what was your reasoning for, obviously for him not to sit then to kneel and then things that have transpired since then to now. Right. So maybe just informing our audience of that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I going down there and I'd written an open letter first, um, just, you know, not necessarily in support of the protest or anything like that, but just saying, um, that I support his rights and his freedoms. Um, you know, in the first amendment, uh, right to free speech. And, um, you know, when we take the oath, we take it to defend the constitution. Um, we joined the military. And I kind of said all these things and, and I said, uh, you know, but I, I look forward to the day that you're inspired to stand once again, I'll be standing right there next to you, you know, and he, he, uh, connected with me and wanted to meet and kind of just talk through stuff. And I think, uh, for him, it was very early on in the protest, you know, it was a couple weeks into it. This is right, right in the middle of the election cycle. Like we're, it's election day today, <laughs> you know, and it's just one of those, uh, it's one of those times where um, the country just, and it still feels like it, you know, very divided, torn apart, kind of scary in a lot of ways. Um, and he, uh, you know, he just wanted to kind of talk through things and get my thoughts on stuff. And, and I wanted to hear him out too and kind of try to understand better for myself, like what, more about why and, and, and not so focused on like the what of the protest itself. Cause so many people just get focused on the mechanism, you know, and the, or the gesture and, and they don't, and they make up the story in their own head about what it stands for and why he's doing it and, and why others have done it. And that's changed quite a bit this last year, which is good. You know, um, it's, it took some really tough stuff to happen, I think for it to change. But I think that narrative is, is, is changing quite a bit. People are listening in a different way. So, um, I, uh, I went down there and yeah, and, and through the conversation, by the end of it, he asked me, do you think there's another way I can demonstrate that's not going to offend people in the military? Another way I can protest. And I was like, man, uh, <laughs> no, there's not, that's a tough question. No matter what you do, some people will be offended, you know, or some people will be upset. I mean, it's just not everyone's going to agree with you. Um, and, uh, you know, I said, but if you're asking my opinion, um, and I don't speak for the military or veteran community or anything like that, but I think um, 
sitting on the bench isolated by yourself. It's an important thing. Be next to your teammates. You know, the guys you're going to go out on the field and quote unquote do battle with, you know. Um, and he agreed. And he said, well, you know, I'm not going to stand. And I said, well, okay. Um, I think your only other option then is to take a knee. Um, if you kneel, <clears throat> you know, kneeling has never really been seen as a sign of a disrespect. Um, as far as I know, people take a knee to pray, to propose to their future spouse. Um, when a player is hurt on the field, everybody takes a knee out of respect. Um, and when I go to Arlington to visit, you know, my best friend in his grave, uh, I take a knee out of respect. Um, it's just what you do. And uh, he agreed and uh, he thought it was more powerful. So he took a knee, he started taking a knee that night and, and I stood, <clears throat> I stood next to him and, you know, uh, four years later, it was one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest things to happen across the world, you know, was, was this kneeling. Um, it's crazy, but uh, it's symbolic. And, and uh, I think it's a, I think what's neat about it that black people don't understand or realize that it's, I don't want to say compromise. It's not the right word, but it's like a middle ground was met. And that's where that came from, you know, where it was like he was willing to listen and adjust as well. Um, something that he was very committed to. And I thought, I thought that was uh, I thought that was special. So. I, so and I just want to put it into context, you know, you had never met Colin Kaepernick. So and this from what I heard in, you know, in some other interviews like you two for the first time ever meeting sat down and had an hour and a half long conversation. And yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, anyone listening to this can take away, yes, we're never gonna all agree. It is what it is. That's just the society, it's the way the world is. But when you're able to sit down and have a conversation with a complete stranger or someone you know, and you can at least come to an agreement of maybe agree to disagree, because one thing you said was, I didn't tell him to take a knee, I gave him a suggestion. And that's what he went with. So, you know, I think it's that that speaks volumes of if we're able to figure that out as human beings, that's the next step in whatever we're trying to accomplish in anything in life. So. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, just you just got to you just got to try. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? You just got to try. And you got to be respectful. And. Uh, and sometimes it. It, it takes, you know, just not saying anything and being willing to, to listen without waiting for your turn to respond, you know, even more. Yeah. Is there any words of advice? And then we're going to get into, because that was a much better uh, conversation than your love advice, Mr. Blackman. <laughs> so we'll, we're going to get into the love, love advice maybe for that, a second. Maybe his love, maybe yeah. his love will be rapid fire. Yeah. Well, hold on. What I think right now, everyone's <laughs> looking for, you know, uh, additional recommendations or advice, just like you made with with uh, Kaepernick what what do you recommend with everything going on obviously this has been at least in my life we're we're uh I guess you and Calvin are the same age and I'm a little bit younger uh, as I always say bracket up you guys are a bracket up but nonetheless um you know the you know what what do you recommend during the pandemic obviously a lot of the different uh rioting and social injustices anything that's going on this year obviously elections today as you mentioned what, what do you recommend anyone to, you know, make this world a better place? I mean, you seem to be one of those guys that are driving, um, you know, trying to drive change. And what, what are some things this year that you could recommend? Oh, man. 
you know, just be, uh, be, it's things that I've struggled with quite a bit. Um, but be willing to, to be open and, uh, and just kind of listen to the universe a little bit, not try to control everything and force everything in your life. And, um, you know, put up fronts and walls and all that because that doesn't help. Um, just be a good person, you know, just be nice <laughs> to, right, be, yeah. to everybody. Um, and, uh, and understand that everybody, you know, when, when people are angry or hurt or, or uh, and they seem mean or whatever, it's because of an experience, you know what I mean? It's a reaction to something. Um, and that they, that we all have a story. We all have things that have happened in our lives that bring us to a place. And, uh, and sometimes it's a place of, of hatred. It doesn't make it okay. But like, I think understanding and trying to listen to that person and why they're at where they're at, how they got where they are. I think it helps us all um, to accept one another, but it also helps the people that are that way, that feel that way, um, because they're able to share their story as well. They're able to say why they feel, you know, why they're at where they're at. And, uh, and maybe you can, you know, even if you adamantly disagree with that person on everything, maybe you can help them, you know, and it's not necessarily that don't make it about helping them see your point, but just maybe you can help them not be that person. And it'll probably help yourself too, you know? Yeah. And the, the golden rule of just treating people the way you want to be treated and just be kind and nice and empathy. I think that's a big word. At least I, you know, to try to be aware, me and Calvin have had conversations. We've had conversations with people, uh, with, with police officers, with, um, with those in minority communities, all in between. I think it's just learning. And, and like you said, and, and we appreciate you being on. And, uh, I know we really appreciate because we found out that obviously you're, you're, uh, and you said you're open with it. You're, you're trying to, 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 uh, you chase down, I guess, a, a woman or a, a girl of, you know, I don't know if it's a girl of your dreams or, or what have you, but, um, you said, Hey, that's part of your story, right? Is that you're there to try to, um, that's your, your objective is to obviously make that relationship whole. And, uh, Calvin, Mr. Blackman said, well, there's a billion other ladies out there. So if this one doesn't work out, don't worry. So that wasn't the best advice. So, That's all he said. He said, well, a, a, a long time ago, a good friend of mine told me something and it stuck with me. He said, there's a billion girls out there. <laughs> that was it. Was I, was, I thought it was going to be like, there's a billion girls out there, but something really profound. There was, there was no profound. There was no but. Uh, you know, all, I think all you corrected me was said was, it's really three billion. <laughs> you're, you're, you're having a challenging morning, and my partner here, I think, was trying to to make you feel better. Can we give his charity so, his charity events and some of the things? Well, hold he's on, done, let's so. let's just see. You know, I is there any? Um, I think we're all looking always for advice in relationships as well. So obviously, you're going through some of that. You said you're open to you know, discussing it, maybe what, what are some of the things that you can recommend to maybe a guy listening that's going through the same thing you are, man. Um, you don't want to feel the way that I feel right now, which is regretful. Right. Um, you know, earlier we said, I said when I was 29, you know, that's when I came out here to, to Texas and went to school. And that's when I met this person and, uh, and for 10 years, I, I did not accept uh, her love. I just rejected it and fought it and put up these barriers and these walls and uh, 
just denied it, denied it. And uh, for various reasons, and I don't have to get into all the reasons, but um, it, it, is, it was awful. It's an awful thing to do to anybody. Anyway, the way that I treated her uh, by doing that, and the way that I was just always distant and never there, living this story, living this life, um, and just trying to always do it by myself, you know, trying to always do it independently. And, uh, and it took quite a few experiences and some stuff that's happened this year for me to like realize that. And, you know, just, uh, oh, maybe a month ago or so, um, about exactly a month ago, you know, she, she asked that I, that I don't, uh, uh, connect with her anymore speak to her anymore you know she's just it's like i'm moving forward and i'm secure and i'm happy and i just need you to to trust that and uh and i just you know i didn't uh didn't want to believe it don't want to believe it <laughs> yeah um and i came out here to austin to to see her and she won't see me and that's okay um i don't deserve it um but we, we talked yesterday uh just on a you know, on FaceTime, whatever. And, and, uh, it just didn't go well. <laughs> I didn't win. I'm the underdog, man. Uh, sure. I, uh, I said everything, almost everything. I said most of the things I wanted to say, it, they did not come out well. It was horrible. Um, but, uh, most of them came out eventually anyway. And, uh, you know, she just, just wasn't interested <laughs> in in it and that's okay it's okay i uh um all you can do is i guess put it out there and trying to be you know more honest um, about it and and uh you know i mean i i guess I, I still have a lot of growing to do and a lot of um uh you know i gotta be a better i gotta be a better person i gotta be a different person and uh you know, I'm going to change um, and keep keep improving and um, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, she's worth it anyway. And uh, as much as this hurts and like sucks, I, I appreciate it myself for uh, for finally like tearing off the um, the armor. <laughs> Sure. You know, sure. Well, we appreciate you being, being open. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's important. And I think you sharing your story, obviously as men being vulnerable, right? I mean, oftentimes we're not, and I think that's important. A lot of our audience is, is, is male. We have a lot of females too, but I think we all struggle with relationships and, and, um, you know, you being open can help. Hopefully, you know, you're just, you in the last couple of minutes, just help somebody. And I think you should, you know, you being open about that, as you mentioned before we recorded, and we're glad once again, we know you could have obviously canceled, but you wanted to stay through. And while you might be the underdog, you know, in this relationship, it's not over. There's always a chance. So um, you've shown that obviously your your resume and your uh, tenacity and your vision. Once you see something, you know, I, I'm not going to doubt you. That's for sure. So with that, I say we we turn the tables a little bit. We conclude every episode, Nate, with a little bit of rapid fire and uh okay. i don't think we brought too much heat on you here but i know you grew up uh first one's from me uh i know you uh, maybe i should 
insert Peyton Manning here, but you grew up in uh, as, as a San Francisco 49er. I know you're big Mo- Joe Montana. You dressed up twice, I believe, for Halloween uh, for, for Joe Montana. But who is better, uh, Brady, Brady or Montana? Who do you got? Montana. Oh, like wow. no, no hesitation. Okay. Just Montana. I thought there was no, I thought. In that, in that prime in the moment, Montana. That's all. Okay. I mean, Brady's, Brady, no doubt, like, the, he is the GOAT. He is. Um, what is this? His 20th season? Something yeah. like that? Something yeah. like that. Um, six Super Bowls. Um, maybe seven this year. Geez, they, they look good. But I know this isn't right. This is rapid fire. I'm screwing it up. They're good. Uh, I just think, man, man, Joe Cool in his prime, like, I, I don't know, man. I just <laughs> take him. I take him. I like it. Was it was Patri- Patriots versus 49ers, both both quarterbacks in their prime at that time. They can uh, yeah, I'm biased, but all day long, Joe Montana. Okay. See, that's a hot debate now. That's how I feel with, you know, the Kobe, just, the Kobe Jordan thing, too. So I'm a Kobe guy. So I, I, I feel you on the Montana thing. So, um, all right. My next question, this isn't really a super rapid fire, but. This is kind of one of those I've always just kind of wondered, um, like, and I didn't know how to phrase it, but you're one of few, I think, who've served in the military and then played football at a high level. Can you talk about kind of just real quickly that the parallels of, of that brotherhood? Because a lot of times we talk about sports and with due respect to the military of kind of being very similar. Well, I actually co-founded a, a charity with Jay Glazer called MVP, mm-hmm. which stands for Merchant Vets and Players. And we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose and camaraderie and that new team when the uniform comes off um, because of those similarities. We never compare, you know, battlefields to ball fields. That's not what we're talking about. War and, and playing a game are, are not the same thing. But um, that identity with the uniform, that sense of purpose, the mission and the camaraderie, um, brotherhood, that stuff's all the same. And typically you're in your twenties and thirties and you lose it. You know, you lose all of it. You're, uh, you lose the team, the, the uniform, the, um, the identity, the purpose, the structure, it's just gone. And it's easy to feel lost, even though you, you were, you're so accomplished. People look up to you, you know, you're a hero. Um, and so those are, uh, those are, those are really tough things. And, and so, um, you know, through MVP, we've been able to sort of help a lot of people. Uh, help ourselves as well um to get through to get through things and to to be vulnerable and open you know what i mean um i struggle with it i've struggled with it my whole life you know kind of riding that line of like telling people all the time hey man you just got to be open you got to be and then i struggle with it myself maybe that's why i tell people that you know what i mean i struggle with myself right um and uh but that's the most important thing i think just admit you know being who you are um being okay with where you are in that journey, even if it's not a great place. And, uh, you know, and understanding that it's never too late to, to just try and just go for it, man. And it doesn't matter what you did before, you know, if you're a vet, you're an athlete, you're whatever. And you, you haven't, there's a new, there's a whole new life ahead of you and new opportunities. Um, and you have the skill set to go get it done and make things happen. Uh, you just got to try. Sure. Love it. Nice. Um, appreciate that. And then, uh, last one I got, you know, be, you being UT guy and this guy's a little bit on the hot seat. Talk about rapid fire is Tom Herman for UT. The answer for head, your Longhorns. He's the head coach. I don't know. I can't answer. That. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. I like it. I like it. I mean, who, Hey, it's a like no win. Said, it's a no win like question. Said, especially like, we said, like we said earlier, 
at some point, at some level, um, everybody fails mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work out. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest coach of all time. There's going to be a point where it's over, you know, and you need to step away. It's, it's, it's super, super rare that anybody in the sports world um, walks out on their own terms. You know what I mean? Leaves on their own terms. It does happen, but it's not often. Right. And, uh, and I think uh, this is one of those scenarios where it's like, you know, Texas is, it's, it's win or go home. Like period, you know, and we haven't won, really won, um, like we have in the past anyway, in a while. And, you know, we were really, really lucky with Mac Brown when he was here to have, I mean, nine straight seasons with 10 or more wins, a national championship, you know, big bull victories, a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, that's not true. Wait. Yeah. Ricky. Yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, um, almost another one with Vince. And then almost another one with Colt, you know what I mean? Kind of back to back to back. And uh, so anyway, it, it's like, it's a tough thing because that's, um, you get spoiled, you know? And, and so where Texas is at now, it's like, I, I mean, I love, it was a big, they beat, had a big win last week in Oklahoma State, um, you know, but we just, we, we seem to, to often um, kind of end up uh, playing to the level of the opponent, you know, and that's, that's, that's tough because you lose some games you really shouldn't lose. And sometimes you win, you win some games that maybe you shouldn't win too, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I love the guys. I love yeah. the way they fight. I like the sure. tournament. Um, I hope, it, I hope it all works out the way it's supposed to work out. I guess that's the only thing I can say. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, I love it. Good answer. Um, all right. How do people, um, what's next for Nate? And then how do people uh, follow your journey? How's our audience um, you know, follow you and engage with you? Yeah. Uh, I do have a website, nateboyer.com. Um, if you want to reach out through there, but also um, on you know Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Nate Boyer 37, um, which is my college number. And what I just finished was uh, I just wrapped up directing my first movie, actually. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so we finished shooting about two weeks ago, and we're in post production now. I'm starting to ed- get it edited up, and so hopefully that's done. You know, it'll be sometime in 2021. I'm not sure when um, and how. And where you can see it, <laughs> uh, but it'll be out there. And it's about the genesis of MVP. It's about uh, um, sort of how it actually started. And um, it's a it is a work of fiction, but it's all based on real people and you know real um, members of MVP and um, veterans and athletes. And and uh, it's kind of uh, it's a, a bit of our story. And yeah, I I I, I co-wrote it. I produced it, I directed it, and I'm acting in it. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You're the next <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or not Arnold. Uh, who who always does that? Uh, Sylvester Stallone writes his movies, oh. directs them. So he's, he's an executive producer on this. How about that? Wow. Nice. Which is really cool. You're on your way, man. You're on your way still. Let's see. Let's see what <laughs> happens. But it's, it was amazing. We had the, the – I mean, I don't even want to – I don't even know what I can say yet as far as like cast and everything but we had some incredible um people give their their time and um yeah we'll see what happens I, I think it's i think it's something special uh, of course because <laughs> i made it <laughs> well we'll be on the lookout we'll definitely post when that comes out we'll definitely uh drive our audience towards towards that and excited to see that that body of work and i'm sure it's gonna be great as you said and thanks again for your service thank you for uh spending time with us this morning and obviously 
we uh, we hope next time maybe we talk to you, then you're uh, shoot. Who knows? You might be married to this that you're this love, and, and you might have kids popping out. You can be like me and Calvin chasing little kids around or something. Who knows? At an old age. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, appreciate I appreciate you, it, man. Thank you very much. You guys, appreciate y'all. All right, man. Good luck to you. You too. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. And send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.